Welcome to Travel Stories on the Milonomics Podcast Network with your hosts, Trevor Mountcastle and Tom Kim. This episode, we welcome Joe Chung from As the Joe Flies and Disney Deciphered to talk family travel to the Asia Pacific, Australia and New Zealand trip. Joe, welcome to Travel Stories. It's, it's just an incredible privilege to have you join us on the new podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. It's good to be back in the saddle with you, Trevor. And good to see you again, TK. Yep. Welcome. Welcome to fellow Asian person who, uh, I guess, uh, also sat underneath the airline seats on my first Trans-Pacific flight. Did that in my childhood as well. You know, it was funny we were talking about that. I, I did the same thing, but I only did it on Transcon. I didn't, Transcon? I, I, yeah. Yeah. Just to, just to LA. That's like yeah. nothing. You don't need to sleep for that. It's too short. Just uh, weak-minded uh, Americans, non-Asian Americans there with your little five-hour flight having to sleep on the floor. Not like yeah, us. Five hours, the fourteen yeah, five hours, hours nothing. Fourteen hours. Yeah, yeah. Not even nonstop. I had to stop in Seattle. I was just used to lay flats of any kind too too early in life. I suppose. Okay. Did they even exist? Yeah, of course. Of it course. was called yeah, the I floor. It was called the floor. <laughs> <laughs> tough room. Tough room. My dad used to fly the Concorde, and uh, I don't think they had lay flats even on that. No, they definitely didn't. Saw that at the Spirit of Flight Museum up in uh, up, up in Seattle at Boeing Field, and uh, man, that was like flying a regional jet. I mean, at least it was only like two three hours, so it it literally felt like a regional jet. You just got a whole lot farther. I assume that's how it felt. It, I mean, that's what the seats. I did get like. upgraded to business as a, as a kid, an operational upgrade. The second time I went to Korea. I think they, they oversold the flight and the, the flight attendants were like, come with us. And I'm like, okay, where are we going? And like, oh, we're going upstairs. And we, we went upstairs on the jumbo jet and I was like, whoa. I remember we ate cantaloupe wrapped in ham and I thought it was very strange. It's like this very strange food in business class. Are you sure it wasn't prosciutto? I'm, uh, no, I th- I'm sure it was prosciutto. <laughs> I'm sure it was prosciutto. But, but to you it was ham. To you, to it was 12-year-old yeah. me, it was it was ham. I like my kids. My kids are prosciutto fiends. It's, oh, uh, are they? They're very costly. Honestly, <laughs> that's, a, that's an expensive habit, man. That's worse than fresh fruit. That's that, that's what we're going through right now. Uh. Okay, so <laughs> for you know, <laughs> I, I love this kind of you know comfortable uh, entry to this podcast. You, you know, Joe, it's it's great to have you back on. It's called banter, Trevor. Banter. That's, that's, that's what we call that. For. Mm-hmm. There we yes. there we go. So I suppose passing through the banter, you did seventeen days in Auckland and Sydney and anywhere else in Australia. So we started in Auckland and then went to Sydney. That was about 14 days, including flights and stuff like that. And then the last three days of the 17-day trip were actually in California at Disneyland. So pretty long trip overall. Probably the longest that I would want to go with my kids, at least uh, in this stage in life. That's that that that's incredible though. That's awesome. So I don't want to rehash a lot of the stuff. Obviously, you you talked on your trip on the Miles to Memory podcast as well. So I I want to try to take a little bit of a different angle angle with that. But there are some things that I think still are worth kind of chatting about. One of those was your your Air New Zealand experience. Could you tell us about why you chose to to fly Air New Zealand and how you found the flights, how you paid for them, and and kind of any unique experiences that that folks might enjoy. 
Yeah, I was looking for award space down to the South Pacific, and I'm a subscriber, paid subscriber to our mutual friend Spencer's award alerts newsletter. And I could have done, I could have used Miles to go to Australia first and then come back from New Zealand. I think it was, I think it was Qantas medal down to Australia and then actually United medal back from New Zealand. But because we were going down for the Women's World Cup and you know the main goal was to see the US women play, I made the tough decision. You know, I, I agonized actually I had all the flights. They were all booked. And I agonized over it for a while. And ultimately I did decided because the way it worked is if I'd done it that way, the US would have been in New Zealand while we were in Australia and vice versa. So we wouldn't have gotten to see them at all. And so because ultimately the trip was about seeing them, especially for my daughter and just as a family experience, I made the tough decision to like let go of the miles flights. And then because of that, I ended up having to pay cash. I did, again, via Spencer's award alerts, get Qantas medal home, three seats in J, two seats in premium economy. That was from Australia. But I ended up having to pay cash to New Zealand. And so at that point, I was like debating between premium economy and uh, just regular economy. And then I found out about Air New Zealand's sky couches. I don't know if you guys, I don't know, Trevor, it is it is technically lie flat, but uh, I think it's kind of beneath your level, beneath your comfort level. It looks like a really cool concept, though. You're tall, though. Oh, no, I don't think it would work for me. I mean, I've, I, well, okay, in all fairness, the first episode that we did of this podcast, TK and I both talked about our, our trip to Philippines, and we flew economy five hours. I know, it's pedestrian, only five hours. But we flew five hours down uh, from Tokyo down to, to Manila, and we had ghetto lay flats, uh, and we both somehow figured out how to fit on those economy seats. But but you're right, the sky couch, only three seats wide, it, it probably is a little bit short for somebody as myself with a, a six foot two two inch frame. Well, you know, even even uh, business class on those Air New Zealand jets, don't they have the same seats they have at Virgin Atlantic? You know, the ones you love so much? I still have... I- <laughs> I still have nightmares. Are you still? You still have some post-traumatic stress. There's, there's uh, definitely a little. Virgin? There's definitely still a little bit of PTSD from from, from those virgin seats. You, you're probably better off in a sky couch. You probably had more room. Yeah, you you might you might you might at least have more storage because those seats are so tight, and there's there's no place where you put your stuff. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Air New Zealand. It's it, food was great, cruise great. It's kind of just like Virgin actually. You know, Virgin's got the same problem. You know, they've got. Great soft product, but the seats are kind of like weird. Except, I guess, if you're premium economy or, or economy, because they're doing all these innovative things for all their economy passengers. Yeah, I mean, so ultimately, like the decision came down to I was thinking of booking premium economy, but that was going to be twenty five hundred dollars per person one way. Wow, yeah, it's expensive. I mean, what we ended up booking was not much better. It was about fifteen hundred per person. Mm-hmm one way. However, like I said, again, it was like going to be, you know, I don't know if going to the South Pacific would be a once in lifetime experience, but definitely seeing the World Cup in the South Pacific was going to be a once in lifetime experience. And because I wasn't paying a lot for hotels in New Zealand, which we'll get to, and then my parents were covering our lodging in Sydney, I was like, you only live once. And so the Sky Couch, for those of you who don't know, is you can pay extra and the seats have footrests that can come all the way up so that basically you have a couch and you know it's touching the seat in front of you essentially 
goes all the way across, and it's about five foot one wide. So you pay extra for basically they give you like bedding and they also give you like exclusive use of the couch. And if you have to like get an extra seat in order to utilize the sky couch, you're paying for that. So we ended up paying about a thousand dollars more total between the five of us, or maybe 800. I can't remember, but it wasn't a ton, especially when you're like already paying over a thousand dollars per ticket. We actually had two sky couches plus one extra seat. So that was like seven seats total. And all that was still cheaper than premium economy. And my thinking was, and it ended up working out, the age that my kids are at, like premium economy is better for us as adults because we can kind of recline and, you know, reclining more makes us feel more comfortable, et cetera, et cetera. But, but for kids, you know, and TK, I was thinking back to when we lay on the floor, this is just a fancier version. And for those of you guys that don't get that reference, I talked about on Miles to Memories, how I would lay on the floor in economy on long flights back to Asia. Well, this is the same exact thing, except for it's not the floor, it's actually the seat and it comes up into a bed. And with the price that you pay, you actually get bedding and stuff like that too. So actually, it worked out actually really upholstered, well. Actually upholstered, right? You know, it's actually, you get a cushion as well. Yeah, extra, so yeah you get cushion. like a little, yep, like a little mattress pad and then you get a comforter and nicer pillows compared to the, you know, you know, those pillows that airlines usually have and then like they get super staticky and all that. So, you know, it's the nicer pillows that don't get like that. And yeah, I mean, we fit two kids across on one, my wife and another kid on the other. And, you know, I was the one who suffered and just sat the whole time in the regular economy seat. Yeah, it seems like a pretty good deal. You know, I mean, like you essentially got two extra free seats. You mean, in terms of actual room on the plane, you might actually come out ahead. And not only Definitely. that, if if you're talking about what a thousand fifteen hundred dollars, you're talking about like what a hundred dollars an hour for for a much better experience, right? Yeah, and that's for the whole family. So yeah, if you put it that way, I think um, yeah, because when people think about upgrading to business class, a lot of times you think about like how much you're paying per hour. There was no other frills. You don't get anything else. It's the same like economy food, same service, and all that. But I think it worked really well because. Like I said, my kids are the perfect age for this, and they wouldn't have appreciated premium economy anyway. Like, you get quote unquote better food in premium economy. That doesn't really make a difference to a kid who's like ten or eight or five, which is where my kids are. Mm, cantaloupe covered in, in ham, right? Yeah. Well, actually, my kids would have appreciated <laughs> that, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's not. You know, you know, the premium economy food isn't that fancy these days compared to what you got. Plus, you were on an Asian airline for that upgrade. Well, no, no, I was on when well, I was on Northwest at that time. Uh, by the oh, way, okay. So, but it was I okay. I mean, I mean, air, but still, yeah. No, no, that not that time. But uh, I, I'm curious, you know, uh, Joe, you, you know, your your travel agent. I was just curious, were you able to leverage anything, being that um, you know, I, I imagine travel agents have, I guess, a whole another set of hacks or a whole another set of things that you can leverage sometimes for for your personal trips. Yeah, I was not able to leverage anything. I typically don't deal in flights. What I found ah, is makes sense. So when you book hotels as a travel agent, typically, like for Hyatt, for example, the if I were to book a cash rate for you, TK, it would you would just be paying the same as you would pay if you um, booked it online yourself. Like the rate that you see online is the same as what I book for you, and then Hyatt just cuts like a small percentage of that to me as the travel agent flights is different you know what travel agent fees are not baked into flight prices already and so i've booked flights for most notably for like school groups 
But um, that is like a big group, and I have to actually add my own commission to what the price that they get quoted. So the only reason why I do it for school groups is, well, one, it's for a school that needed my help, and then two, it's because like it is when you're talking about a big group, like of 25 students. Yeah, it's got to be a lot more complicated. It's complicated. It is a pain. So like I actually can like do something. But like if you were booking a cash flight, like I'm not doing anything to help you really. And so why charge you an extra like 25 to 50 bucks to book it through me? So for most clients, like especially, you know, most of my business is down to Disney World and stuff like that. They ask if I book flights and I'm like, I can, but it's going to cost you more. Or you can just pick my brain and I'll be like, book this flight and you can just, you know, book it on your own. And then that also makes my life easier if they're like cancellations and stuff like that, then I don't got to deal with it. Yeah. I wonder, you know, it seemed to make sense for normal flights. I, I wonder if there's any kind of margin left in like premium flights for the business class and, and things like that. It feels like there might still be something out there, but I, I guess maybe that's, it's not so much the case. It seems like it was maybe where there was still something left over just because the margins are so big, right? On, on like a business class or first class ticket. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing that you make me think of and that I get really curious about is there's obviously a whole side of travel agenting that I'm not involved with, but that works with, you know, getting visas for people going to China. Right. Or like, right. You know, right. For our families or at least friends are like, my parents are pretty savvy. They can book their own travel, but their friends, like when they're going back home or when they're, like for various reasons, you know, we're of the age where our family needs to go back for unfortunately, you know, family tragedies and things like that. And so there's definitely a huge market. You know, I have a friend who is my age, but like whenever she goes back to Taiwan, like she always checks with a travel agent first in terms of ticket pricing and things like that. And so there is this whole like market for, you know, I don't know if it's like foreign nationals. It's a lot with Asia. Well- I, I was about to say, I feel like the the marketing for Asian flights is so different. They're much more accustomed to using an agent, you know, than using Expedia or using, you know, Travelocity or whatever. They're used to getting like kind of higher level service, maybe, maybe for higher price. But in some cases, those guys have access to probably some kind of deal, whether it is because they're ticketing it in, not in the US and, and maybe somewhere else, or, you know, maybe they just have a certain marketing budget, like Korean Air or somebody will go to them and be like, hey, we got a block of tickets here for you. If you can sell all these, we'll make you a deal. Well, and not only that, but I, I mean, we had uh, Michael Traeger on from Travelzork, and uh, he talked about kind of finding those, you, you know, open jaw tickets and stuff that perhaps a, a normal person might not initially think of or might not be able to figure out the the, the most efficient way. And sometimes you can kind of find a, a more premium approach that might actually result in savings to kind of cover up or, or you know, bridge the gap on, on any uh, booking fee. So, so Joe, you made it to New Zealand. You did a couple of things that I was really curious about in New Zealand, in, in Auckland. I, I think you said that, that you stayed at the Park Hyatt, but it wasn't just a standard, a standard points booking, right? Uh, you, you used the, the family rate, which I think, I think we've probably talked about in the past on the, on the show, but, but we've never actually done it ourselves. How did that go? Was there anything like, did you have to use a Hyatt concierge or, you know, what was the process for uh, pulling that all together? Yeah, it's been one of those things that I talked about like a million times, but never got to try myself. So I was super excited to do it. And that property in particular is very well set up for it. So the, uh, I guess, technicalities behind the family rate are if you book a room under a regular rate, and that includes award night rates, 
um, you can book a second room at what they call the family rate. And that room will be guaranteed to be connecting. And it's designed for like bigger families like mine with three kids. Because I think the max occupancy of any room was, it might have been three or definitely wasn't above four. And I'm a family of five. And so, you know, instead of having to book a suite, you can book this family rate room. And that second room is half off, uh, has to be in cash, but is half off. So, you know, what I did was the Park Hyatt Auckland is very inexpensive as far as Park Hyatt's go. Even during like a very busy time, Mia Hamm was staying there as well. You know, it's the nicest, one of the nicest hotels uh, we saw at breakfast, small flex there, but it was one of the nicest hotels that, you know, they have in Auckland, but it was only 15,000 points per night. You know, unlike the, you know, Park Hyatt, New York is like 30,000, right? Um, and this or is- Park Hyatt, Sydney, to be in oh, that right, part of yes. the world, right? Yeah, we were looking at that too. Yeah, is it thirty thousand? It was twenty five or thirty thousand because we were looking at just maybe staying there for a night, just to you know go all Trevor on it. But <laughs> we weren't, we didn't, we didn't do that. By the way, spoiler alert. So fifteen thousand a night, and then the cash rate ended up being it was definitely less. I kind of forgot because of the conversion rate, but it was definitely less than four hundred dollars a night. It could have been maybe two fifty or three hundred dollars US per night. So we were paying fifteen thousand points plus a couple hundred dollars US per night, and as I was saying, the Park Hyatt Auckland is very well set up for it. TK, you may, this may resonate with you more, but I just remember like growing up in Hong Kong, there were a lot of rooms or like apartment complexes where you get out of the elevator and there's doors on both sides. But like if a family owns both doors, like, you know, essentially that whole entire floor is like there. So it's like one kind of gigantic joint apartment. And the Park Hyatt Auckland was set up like that. There are doors that like, Cause like I first got into the room and I was like, I thought this family rate was supposed to be a connecting room. Mm-hmm, like what's up mm-hmm. with this? Like, but you know, the other room that we had is across the hallway, quote unquote. But then I realized that there are yep. bigger doors that close off the hallway and turn us into a little like Asian two, two family apartment, at least, you know, what I remember from living there 30 years ago or whatever. And so it was awesome because we could close it off, open up the two doors between the rooms and the kids could run back and forth between the different rooms. And, you know, we had two bathrooms, two balconies um, and everything worked out great. So like that was even more fun for them than just because we had that hallway. And then, you know, again, because we're Asian, that hallway is perfect to leave all our shoes in. Right. Yeah, Whereas if you have the two point. rooms with the connecting, then like where you put, you know, it's always where, where are the, my shoes. Yeah, where do you put your shoes? You put them in the closet, you don't know where they are, but like we left them all in that little foyer area and being able to close that off was awesome. And then of course the kids had a lot of fun because, you know, there was like doorbells on like the three doorbells, right? One on the outside mm-hmm. of the double doors and then one for each room inside. So that was a lot of fun. It sounds like a great stay and a great deal because you know, it, it occurs to me like the Park Hyatt probably could have charged like a lot. You know, it's Women's World Cup, it's a peak time. And, you know, Auckland, at least, you know, and I, it's been a couple of years since I've been there. I have been there a couple of years ago. And I, I remember the number of points hotel options are just not very many. So really, you know, when you look at the international brands that are there, you think they could charge quite a bit of a premium. And, and I almost feel like in Australia, that's what they're doing. Like the Park Hyatt is insane. It's much more expensive than the other luxury hotels around there. Yeah. And I was surprised because it was very clear to me that a lot of FIFA execs were staying there. There was like a little lounge area that was closed off to the public, but there was like drinks and there was TVs. And obviously you could go in there to like, there was soft drinks like on a table, but then also it looked like you could go there and get a drink, but it Mm -hmm. looked like it was like only for 
official FIFA people. And in fact, they had like a cocktail party in one of the common areas that was obviously like a bunch of like FIFA. I don't know if there were big wigs, but like at least medium wigs. And mm-hmm. like I said, mm-hmm. I think most of the 99ers, which is the team that won the World Cup in 1999, because I saw Mia Hamm, Christine Lilly, Julie Foudy, who does a lot of TV stuff. Mm-hmm. She was doing a Zoom interview on CNN. And my wife was like, oh, that's our couch. Like, it's the same same furniture. So she must be in the Park oh, okay. Hyatt, too. And so yeah. there was a lot of people at the Park Hyatt, but still, you know, I booked it pretty early on. Oh, and then to answer your question from like a million years ago, Trevor, I did have my concierge do it. But my understanding is that, you know, you can call the hotel and any hotel that has a family rate, like they're like, they know how to do it and they know how to do whatever happens on the back end. Yeah, I'm going to have to research that. Is there like a rate code or something you can do to look it up online? Or My understanding is like the only way you can do it is to call, which is why I asked mm-hmm. my concierge to do it just so I didn't have to call. But um, yeah. I've actually called it in as well. I can't remember. It may have been the Globus line, but you know when you call in the Globalist line, they have the same access to rates as a regular agent would have. And so I remember like one time I asked, I can't remember what hotel, but- it might have been like a Hyatt place and they were like, oh, they don't have a family rate for that one. So it's usually like the bigger hotels, like I think Hyatt Regencies, Park Hyatt's, if you're lucky, like we were. And so, yeah, I mean, it's really good to get that extra room. And But the Park Hyatt was definitely like the fanciest and nicest day. Mm-hmm. Well, and it sounds like you were in the right place, especially for the uh, for the Women's World Cup. So how did you get the, the tickets? Was that like a lottery? I know that for the Men's World Cup, it's a lot harder to get. Ah, uh, no. Yeah, it was uh, super easy. Most of the games I went to ended up selling out, but I got them pretty early. And that was the other thing, you know, when I was saying like, oh, we were deciding whether to go to Australia first or to New Zealand. I will say that Women's World Cup tickets face value were like $30. And so that was going to be, I I would have eaten them if we decided to go in the opposite order and not go to the games. Men's World Cup tickets in Brazil when I went in 2014, face value was already 175 to start. And that was in 2014. And, you know, it's 2023 now. So that that would have been much harder to stomach. And with the men's, it was like a crazy lottery and stuff like that. But with the women's, it was, it was fairly easy to get. Now, when we were actually on site and when the US didn't do as well as they were supposed to do. So like people are like trying to trade tickets and like go to different games than the ones they had booked. Like we had a game booked in Sydney that the US should have played in if they had played to form. But since they didn't, they went to Melbourne instead. Um, but at that point, they were tough to get on the resale market, even though they were still weren't that expensive. It is whatever. So I, I bought tickets to three games. It was pretty straightforward. What, and the other what nice city thing, was that again? I, I didn't quite hear. What, what city was that? Trevor taught me it's pronounced Melbourne. So, you know, oh. I just say it. I say hey, it that was pretty good. Say. That was pretty good. So, hey, so I learned from the best. You didn't, you, you didn't want to change, uh, change, change vectors and, and head to Melbourne? No. Yes, that's the. I mean, it was it was just too much last minute. Plus, plus my parents were there, and uh, the other nice thing, and I heard that the Euros that are going to be in Germany, the men's European Championship tournament in Germany next year in 2024, has done the same thing. Public transportation was included in the cost of the ticket. So, oh, great idea. Know, the Euro tickets, of course, are going to be way more. But like for thirty dollars, you know, we got a subway ride to the game. It all worked out really well. So in other words, they're forcing Americans coming in to take mass transit, which they're 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 normally yes. unaccustomed to do. Well, there was no really other convenient way to get there, but yes, Trevor, they they were forcing us into their socialist ways. 
<laughs> so any thoughts, any, any final thoughts on, on World Cup before we move on to other things in, in New Zealand? I would just say that, I mean, it was a great atmosphere, great experience. The game I referenced the most is not the U.S. game that I saw, but the Philippines game. I think the really cool thing about the World Cup men's or women's, and especially this men's one that it's going to be in the U.S. in 2026, which I am not ready for. If you look at how much messy tickets are going for, you know it's going to be insane in 2026 for the tickets. But if you can get to a game of a team that like either hasn't been to the World Cup before or like is not going to hasn't been that very that successful in 2026 there's going to be more of those teams because the field for men has expanded to 48. Likewise, this year in 2023 the women's field expanded from 24 to 32, so we got a lot of newer teams. That Philippines game was like that stadium was rocking. They lost 4 or 5 nothing. But it was like one of the loudest stadiums I've ever been in because people were just so happy and excited that the Philippines were just even there. And like that's kind of what world sport is all about. It's almost like a Cinderella moment for these newcomers, it sounds like. You yeah, know, and they won a game too. I mean, I can't imagine what the I can't imagine what the stadium was like the game that they won. Mm. So, you know, they actually actually no. Never mind. I can't imagine because they beat New Zealand. So it was pretty sad. Oh my. Okay. <laughs> because they were in New Zealand. But if that was in some countries, like like the stadium might not actually be still standing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, um, but I, I will also say that like the Women's World Cup is just, it's so much, uh, there's a different energy at the Men's World Cup. And I would say that not all of it is positive. Obviously, there's a lot more like rabid fans, but the story I keep coming back to is there was like no line at the bar and like there was just F- much fewer less hooligans. Yes. Yes, exactly. And so, that doesn't even sound like a New Zealand thing. I mean, if it was in Australia, it, there'd definitely be a line at the bar though. No, there was no line at any of the bars because people like, especially because the tickets are cheaper, like people take their kids, they take their families, you know, it's just, it was just a lot more positive and happy atmosphere. Whereas of course the only world cup I went to was in Brazil, but like in Brazil it was, pretty i mean even the friends that i was with were pretty crazy so that's my i've been to two women's world cups and one men's and that's my uh limited data points on that so let's move to the to the non-world cup stuff you drove which which is something that i haven't done in new zealand i've i've done it in australia but what was your experience there you know logistics wise and and just i'm trying to remember does does new zealand drive on the I don't want to say the wrong side of the road. Opposite side. Yes. The opposite side. There we go. Yes. We rented a car for a day. I rented a van um, because my parents were there. They were actually staying at a different resort that they paid for on cash. That was like just like two blocks away from us. And so we rented a car. Yeah. Driving on the left side was not bad at all. Uh, I have done it in Ireland, which was a lot more stressful, like getting off a red eye even though I had flown into Shannon, which was like kind of in the middle of nowhere, less stressful getting out of a city. I mean, less stressful getting out of Shannon than getting out of a city, but still like getting off a red eye, very little sleep. And then in Ireland, the roads at points are like very tight and like the hedges on the sides of the roads are like whipping past your side view mirrors. That was way more stressful because the road was tight. In New Zealand, it was mostly highway and then either that or like there was like and then once you get far enough out, there's like no one around. And so it was a lot less stressful. Plus, my jet lag had been worn out. We, we only rented a car for one day, and that was towards the end of the trip. And as far as logistics-wise, 
Did you have to go back to the airport? Uh, did the hotel have it? Uh, I know that in Melbourne, the Grand Hyatt had a Avis right in the basement, which was really convenient. Yeah, that would have been nice. No, there was a Hertz that was maybe five, six block away. It was about a 15 minute walk away. So I walked there, picked it up, drove the car back to the Park Hyatt, picked my family up. Then we did what we did. We went to Murawai Beach, which was pretty cool. Saw a couple other things I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, I'll have to look back at the pictures and then drop my family back off at the Park Hyatt, then drop the car off. Um, That was all done in a day. We picked the car up at like 830 and we were done by like 430 and that worked well. Hey, and you didn't end up in jail. I don't know if they do that in Australia, in in uh, New Zealand, like they do it in the U.S. with Hertz. Wasn't that, I mean, there might that be, Avis or is that Hertz? No, it's, it's Hertz. It's Hertz. I heard Hertz. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, yeah, there might be a warrant out for my arrest in New Zealand, so I just have to check into that uh, before the next time I go there. So, I think you also did a, a tour, right, while you were there. Yes. So we did the Hobbiton and Waitomo Caves Glowworm tour, um, and you know, really. I was very excited to go to Hobbiton, lifelong dream to go see Lord of the Rings stuff. We took a tour. The bus picked us up at like 5.30 a.m. I think if I had to do it again, I probably would have rented the car for two days and done it on my own pace. I was a little too chicken to do that before, but you know, I, I think I would have preferred that. Anyway, it was uh, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, it was as awesome as you can imagine it being. Uh, had a beer in the Green Dragon, got to take a lot of pictures. Really loved that. My kids were fairly uh, patient with that portion. And then we went to Waitomo, where there are these glowworms, which they call them worms, but they're actually maggots, but they are bioluminescent magnets, magnets, maggots uh, in in a cave. Uh, it would be cool if they were magnets too. Um, and so, you know, you get to see the glowing worms and then you take a like they there's like a river running underneath the cave which is partially why the worms live there you take this uh boat where they like you know they have like ropes above where they're they're just pulling you along and it's all really dark and then worms are above you and it's like it looks like a it looks like the night sky except for they are glow worms so it's pretty awesome and my kids love that why were you cautious on on not driving yourself was it the distance or just, I don't know where Habitown is, uh, if it's like mountains or anything like that? Yeah, it was a lot the distance. It was about a two to two and a half hour drive, and it was going to be both ways. And I should say that we decided to, we didn't really decide, we had designs on renting a car for a day, but we didn't confirm, like we didn't commit to it until we were actually in New Zealand. Whereas I figured with like the Hobbiton and Glowworm tour, like, it's, it's, it's similar to why I was willing to pay all that money to fly down. I was like, I'm not missing this. Um, and so now I know like you, I could have showed up at any time and maybe had to wait an hour, but gotten on any tour. But I was like, I want to make sure I get there. You know, I don't want to like miss it because like I'm not able to rent a car or, come, or some silly reason. You know, I'm just going to pay for someone to drive us there, um, take a small group tour. And so, you know, that's kind of how that went. But if I were to go back now, I know that like, you know, I could drive down there, especially it's a long drive. So I wouldn't have wanted to do it like the first day that I got to New Zealand or something like that. But like if you're in New Zealand for a longer trip, ideally, actually, you just pass by that as you're making your way south, you know, to the South Island, which we didn't get to see at all. So that's how I'd do it next time. Yeah. I mean, I was lucky. I, I, I was able to go to Hobbiton as well a couple of years ago. And I do. And actually at that time, I think it was harder to get a ticket. Like you did need to like kind of reserve it a little bit more in advance, but I was lucky. I, my friend drove because, you know, I, I, I cannot handle 
uh, opposite drive, uh, opposite hand driving. It just, my, my brain will just collapse and explode. Yeah, I think that living in Hong Kong in middle school helped because I kind of knew like it was a formative enough time in my life. I was only there for two and a half years, but it was formative enough that like my brain, like something had registered in my brain at that time. Um, and so that, that really helps. Yeah. I, I think I've only flown, uh, yeah, flown, uh, driven on the, uh, on the other side of the road, probably two or three countries, but I've done so much in Australia that, it, that as long as I can get past the first, I, I don't know, like two, three hours, first couple dozen turns, I, I'm generally pretty good. Having driven, you know, all, all the way out to to uh, uh, Twelve Apostles out of out of Melbourne, and then driving all the way the other way to Canberra, and then up to Sydney through some in some cases through the mountains or, or hills. I don't know if you call them mountains. I got about twenty feet in the parking lot, and I was like, "This is not for me." <laughs> you got that far? That sounds. I got about like, twenty feet in the, the parking, parking lot. Just goes one no, way. Nope. 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 Wasn't working. It, it was. It was not for me. See, that sounds hey, like me. You gotta know. Bermuda. You gotta know your limits. Exactly. Better the parking lot than actually on a road. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We had that challenge on our honeymoon. Uh, In Bermuda, they ride uh, scooters, uh, motorbikes and scooters. So I tried doing that on the hotel grounds. And I said, you know what? I just got married. I'm not going to risk my, you know, my or or my wife's life because I'm just not comfortable on a scooter. So, you know, knowing your limits is definitely important. So, so did you make uh, it to any other roadside attractions uh, along your way? I think those are the main things in New Zealand. We really, unlike when, unlike before we had kids where we tried to like pack things in, you know, we really have become a plan for one thing per day type family. And like that includes like if you, if there's a game, like that's kind of the one thing we did some Auckland attractions. None of them were like really, you know, Hobbiton was definitely the highlight. I think if I was in New Zealand for not the World Cup, I would have planned it very differently, taken more day trips, gone down to the South Island, gone to Wellington, um, gone to other places. But, you know, we were there for the World Cup and, you know, we saw two games in our five days there. So that was the main thing. And then hopped on over to Sydney, which you think that they're like so close, but it's like a four hour flight, you know, a long enough that Trevor won't sit in economy flight to uh get to australia and so uh, you know i had some relatives there too so you know that's why you know we would have stayed in new zealand the whole time but uh, because i was so close quote unquote we uh went on over to go see my relatives in new sydney funny that you say that i think i did fly economy round trip actually we had business class but it was not a very comfortable business class from auckland to perth but from sydney to auckland it was economy and Good it was you, a man. long flight. Good it, for you. it literally felt like it felt like a transcon almost, like a short transcon. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you, Trevor. <laughs> you, you really did it. Uh, for those of you, who man, what a tough crowd this is. <laughs> for those of you who didn't listen to the Saverosity Observation Deck, um, you know, this is old hat for us. Me making fun of Trevor and his uh, fancy, fancy ways. It's okay. I've been trying to keep the hold the torch there. You know, keep him honest. You know, this. You know, the struggle's real, right? Right, Trevor. Yes. Oh, oh, you got to keep me humble. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. Economy is good for the soul sometimes. Yes, yes. Note, note, note I say humbled, not grounded. Well, I, I will tell you, Trevor, like I think the, int- the really interesting thing is, and I was thinking about this, like I did not care when I was a kid about sleeping on the floor and that 15-hour flight. You know, it was just, it was just an experience. So really with the kids, like if 
if you if you are taking your if you want to take your daughter somewhere, and especially if you have a park Hyatt waiting for her at the at the end of the rainbow, so to speak, you know, and you have to slum it in premium economy or something like that, it's uh it's, it's really not going to make a difference to her. And in fact, the opposite, like a lie flat seat, not that I can find five lie flat seats these days, but you know, we put our five year old in a lie flat seat, and really, aside from her getting to sleep a little bit more, like she they don't appreciate business class the way uh, you know. And now I'm like. We'll wait till they're teenagers again to like really. I mean, I'll try to get business class when I can, and I did. But you know, I, I think that's when I, th- I think Trevor hears you, but he's not listening. No, I hear I know, you, but you gotta try. You gotta try. You gotta try. No, no, lead them to water. I totally hear you. I totally hear you, but I'm not flying. I'm not. I'm. I'm not flying business class for her. I'm flying it for me. I'm flying it for my wife. If she happens to have a seat because you know we're able to get three seats. She's going to have her 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 own seat for our next trip. And I don't even really expect her to use the seat because she's still, I mean, I don't know why two-year-olds need to have their own seat. I mean, I, I mean they just don't. Like, they're not going to use it anyway. But but really, we're doing it for our, ourselves more than, than, than we're doing it for her. We're doing the trip. Well, okay, fine. At this age, we're doing the trip for ourselves too. But we're happy to be able to bring her along, expose her to things. If she gets like one or two things from these trips, that's that that's a win. But it's probably going to be for a long time that I'm going to be trying to just you know fly in the premium cabins because I personally don't want to be back there. I, I don't say this. I don't believe I'll ever be in your situation where you're trying to find five seats. Like I can't even fathom how you're trying to find five seats and how you actually succeed with it. It's a challenge. It's looking it's, it's, for it's, three and four is crazy. Yeah, I mean that's why uh, we when we flew back on Qantas, it was three in business and two in premium economy, which was premium economy was totally nice. My son, who I gave him the option, by the way, I was like, "Your youngest sister is she's young enough that she's not gonna she, she's really not gonna get it." Not that he totally got it, but I was like, "You know, you can either sit back in premium economy with me, like our seats are not gonna turn into beds, um, but you know." Other than that, it should still be pretty nice. And I was like, you can either sit with dad or you know, I'll make uh, your little sister come with me and then you can stay with mom and have the life flat. And so he opted to come with me. Um, but when we were getting off, he's like, dad, do you think I can try business class sometime? And I was like, <laughs> sure, bud, next time. Although I, I flew I flew everyone home from LA on Mint. So he did. So I was like, I was like, don't worry, man. I got you. That's, like, oh, got that's you. great. That's, oh, great. that's awesome. Were you able to get the uh, the window seats on the 380 up up there in premium economy? Yes. So we had ah. a window seat. It was really nice. And actually, the really nice thing, I know we skipped Sydney. We can go back to that. But like the really nice thing about being on the A380, number one, it was like my son, of course, like many stereotypical males, is into all forms of transportation. So getting into the A380 in the first place was like huge for his life, you know, huge milestone for him, um, which was awesome. Then we got to be on the second floor which was even better. Hey, you guys have more A380 experience. It looked like they were not, they closed off the stairs. It seemed like, you know, they're preventing people go, from going up and down, unlike uh, 747s that I remember from my childhood. Well, even then, there weren't a lot, ton of people going up and down on those 747s that I remember. I didn't really feel like they they were really dissuading people. I think it was a safety thing on the, um, it's kind of like that, that thing that they have for, you know, getting what, into the club. velvet rope or whatever. Yeah. The velvet rope. That's it. That's what, yeah, that's was, what I recall them doing on the A380. Yeah. It was like a glass. No, no. It was like, uh, maybe it was, might've been like yeah. a gate, right? It's an actual, yeah, like, it was, it was like, like kind of a, like a clear, uh, 
I don't know if it was plastic or glass because I didn't go touch it, but it was a gate. But what I was going to say is it worked out perfectly because the business class and premium economy cabins are on the upper deck, whereas first class is in the nose. Um, And so while I would have loved to put them up in first class, this way we were all together. And so I actually seated them towards the rear of the business cabin and I seated us towards the front of the premium economy cabin. And so we went back and forth and you're, you know, we're able to say hello. No one gave us a, you know, I was like, Oh, you know, if I hadn't seen my wife for a while, I was like, I'm going to go up to business class. I hope nobody, uh, you know, stops you shakes their finger at me for her going, but yeah, it was, it was totally fine going back and forth. And, you know, I had good uh, bonding time with my son as we slummed it in uh premium economy. Premium economy. <laughs> and it's still premium. So, so was that the new seat or was that the old sort of almost angled lay flattish kind of like uh, the cutter cutter business seat? I think it was the new, I think it was new cabins in general. Um, yeah, it was, it was nicely appointed. It was, pretty comfortable reclining. You know, I was able to, I mean, I had, I, I got like a few hours, I got maybe five or six hours of sleep on the economy seat on the way down to Auckland. So the premium economy seat was like, it was a huge upgrade. It was like I was on the Concord. So, <laughs> well, then you'd get there really fast. I wish, I wish, <laughs> man, my, my son would like, like that whole concept would blow his mind. Um, so maybe, you know, I, I know they've talked about bringing back supersonic flight, so we'll see. But yeah, uh, the sea was really nice. The one thing I was like making sure I was like, you must, uh, and Trevor, you'll appreciate this, like episode one of Observation Deck. I was like, you must get me a set of pajamas. <laughs> and so my wife did manage to get me a set of pajamas and we got, we got three sets. Actually, we brought, I had a friend who got me a set from Eva air years ago uh, who lives around here. And so I returned the favor and gave him a set of Qantas pajamas because, you know, we got one for the five-year-old and the 10 year old, but they couldn't fit them. Even the smallest size they couldn't fit, but you know, we got three sets of pajamas for, so that was uh, that was good enough for me. I got to hang out with my son and, and, you know, that was fine. And honestly, I felt really lucky Getting three J and two premium economy all on the same flight. I mean that like that's as winning. far as yeah, that is oh, that really huge is winning. Win. So yeah. So I was very happy with our flight home. That's that's definitely a huge win. So so take us back to Sydney. Like I said, um my dad decided to cover our stay there. We stayed at the Meriton World Suites. There's like Meriton must be some big either real estate or some kind of company there because their name is like on everything. And so it's uh, building that, you know, it's like half hotel, half apartments. And so we were in the hotel half, of course, and it was a three bedroom suite, but it's, it was essentially an apartment. Like we had a kitchen and all that. And then we were like pretty close to Chinatown. So it was awesome. We were essentially, you know, I was saying like, it felt so much like Asia. Cause like you go down the elevator, you walk out, there's like Asian restaurants, like everywhere you're in essentially like a mall. And there's like a, in fact, in fact, there was a basement and like there was a both a regular Western and a Chinese grocery store down there. So like I said, we had the kitchen so we could get stuff for breakfast and things like that. You know, I was looking at that same area for my upcoming trip to Sydney. I actually found a, a Choice Hotels uh, redemption there. Some weird company called APX. I don't even know what that is, but they have exactly the same setup. They had, they're basically like hotels, like in a kind of an extended stay hotel inside a, inside an apartment building. Um, but it was interesting because, you know, the thing with Choice Hotels is, you know, they have these redemptions where, you know, it's the same price, whether it's two bedroom suite, one bedroom suite, one bedroom room. It's like, it's kind of funny. Uh, you know, there's a lot of 
inter- like a lot of the, the the hotels that really aren't used to having any redemptions. I think they have the setup where basically it's one price, even if it's if it's the two bedroom suite, and that's what I booked. But then I just I, I ended up changing it because I didn't actually need that space. I, I thought I was going to be needing the space with, uh, because I had some friends I'm traveling with, but I think our, our travel plans diverged, so I ended up staying somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, I felt like so I obviously went to Sydney Harbor and I saw where the Park Hyatt was. And then I also went to Darling Harbor and saw where the Hyatt Regency was. And ultimately I was like, if my dad hadn't said he was going to stay there. And by the way, it was like 600 us per night for the five, seven of us to stay there. Technically we were only supposed to have six. So we snuck a person in, but you know, whatever. Um, Surrounding error at that point. Yeah, rounding error. And I was thinking about it and I was it would have been nice to be at Darling Harbor, but in terms of like the food options, especially, you know, our kids when they're traveling, like the most kind of the the safest bet for a square meal that will be mostly healthy is Asian food for my particular kids. And, you know, there was a Din Tai Fung like at the, you know, just in our I same complex, which yep. was awesome. Yep. Um and like at Darling Harbor Definitely at the Park Hyatt, there would have been like no food options. You know, it's all like kind of like the fancy restaurants, like by the Opera House and stuff like that. Um, you have to agree, like the that Circular Key Rocks area and, and Darling Harbor, they they have expensive options. But yeah, the area where you're staying looked like so much more flexible, so many more options, like at least from a food perspective, a lot happier. I think it's staying somewhere there than. Uh, maybe some of those other more popular touristy places. I was sold at Din Tai Fung personally. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah. mean, we hit like we hit like like almost all the major Asian food groups. You know, I think we had Vietnamese food one day. Um, we obviously had Chinese food with Din Tai Fung. We went to a conveyor belt sushi, which my kids love. Like we do that here sometimes, but the conveyor belt sushi here, we only go for the fun of the conveyor belt. Like the sushi's not good. That was awesome. We went there twice. We went to a Korean place. We went to Ron place. You know, so it was. We were not wanting for food at all the whole time. Oh, like stuff like Japanese soft serve, bubble tea, like all that stuff. So, you know, we were just eating that up uh, all day. So that that worked out really well. And then of course, um, we had a big Chinese meal with my relatives in actual Chinatown, Chinatown, which was like a few blocks away. So overall, ate really well um, in Sydney. And I, I think kind of the best Asian food we've had that's not in Asia. Yeah, you know, Sydney's kind of funny that way. I feel like Sydney has really good Asian food and questionable Western food sometimes. You know, like I've had some Western food in Sydney. I thought, this is not really that great, except for seafood. Seafood's really good there. But everything else, you know, I'm like, mm, this this is not this is not amazing. Yeah, and I forgot like how much like when you're eating Western food over there, it's like fish and chips for everything. It's like fish and chips all over the place. And eventually, you know, so we had a ton of that in Auckland. I mean, we had some Asian food in Auckland as well. Uh, actually, like on our way down on Air New Zealand, there was like a, there was a show kind of about the Chinese diaspora and various Chinese restaurants that were spread throughout or Asian, uh, no, no, it was Chinese, spread throughout New Zealand. So because of that, we tried to find a couple of Asian restaurants in New Zealand. But like overall, you know, it was most it was a lot of fish and chips. And so that's why it was really refreshing in Australia to get a lot of Asian food. So I have to ask, realize that a lot of uh, Sydney was seeing family. Did you guys get to Taranga Zoo? Yeah, we did. It was uh, really awesome. Like we went to the zoo in Auckland as well. I don't want to 
speak too illly of the zoos in Boston, but they're just not great. There's two here. But just even the design, it just felt like so much more. I don't know how to explain it, but like, you know, I know enough. It's like the theme park background that I have. Like, I know like how you can feel when things are designed in a way that it kind of like invites the guests in better. And that's how both the Taranga Zoo in Sydney and the zoo in Auckland felt. Um, it just felt like much better design. And of course, there are like animals that we don't get to see regularly in the States. But still, like even beyond that, it just felt very well designed and we really enjoyed our time and then the thing that my kids really loved is um we ended up they have the like this ropes course which is not part of the zoo it's like a separate thing but you can pay to do this ropes course and you're like doing it like above the zoo and so we all did that my daughter did the whole thing my son only did part of it but uh we really enjoyed you know she was like up she she loves like rope courses and climbing and stuff like that but then like doing that and like looking down and seeing the animals and stuff like that was like super cool again not going to be done with miles and points but if you want to splurge there was like a reserve hotel to stay at like inside the zoo like i was very curious as to what that experience would be like you know it was like a lodge like inside the zoo or whatever so it's like oh yeah i mean i can i can see fancy people staying there so you know trevor all the money you save using points for all the other stuff, you know, spend two nights in Taranga zoo or something like that and see how that goes. Yeah. I, re- I remember going there and it's, it's just such a scenic zoo. Like I remember taking a photo of like these giraffes and then skyscrapers, you know, behind them and just thinking like, wow, these animals have like the best view of probably any zoo in the world. Yeah. Like you, so you're like walking downhill the whole way and about halfway down is I think where the best view is. And you just see off Sydney, like across the Harbor and exactly. it really is like an amazing view. Like you said, TK, I realize this is a audio medium, but just imagine an amazing view of the Sydney skyline and, uh, you know, some animals bleeding nearby you. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, if, if, it, you know, if, you, if you're about the gram, I mean, this is a good place. Yes, definitely. Definitely. I also paid extra, I think, when I went there a couple of years ago to do the Koala experience. And I would actually recommend against that because it's kind of pretty weak compared to like other places. Like if you go to like Brisbane and some of the Koala sanctuaries and things like that, it's 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 so much better elsewhere than in Sydney. What made it weak? Um, you don't even get to like very get close to it. It's like you get a Koala encounter. You get to be in the vicinity of a Koala. You don't even get to like, you know, it doesn't get to touch. You don't get to hug it. You don't. You, there's like no contact whatsoever. And that's probably a good thing from a, from a wildlife perspective, but for the amount that they're charging to be koala adjacent, wasn't really that cool to me. In Brisbane, you get to like pet them. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if you're going to let me pet a koala, I'm not going to say no. So, you know, I, I'm I'm an evil person. I, I, I want, I want to touch the animal. I'm sorry. They're so cute. They are. They're, 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 they're incredible. But yeah, just again, for our listeners who are, who are doing their, their Australia planning, just be aware, not all, not all koala encounters are created equal. Do your research. Yeah, the uh, not to circle back to Melbourne, which is not a, a big focus of this of this episode, but just outside in Yarra Valley, they've got the Heelsville Sanctuary. I didn't do the koala experience, but I th- I'm pretty sure they got to, t- uh, to to pet the koalas. You can also feed kangaroos and uh, and and see the Tasmanian devils and such. You laugh at Tasmanian devils. Have you, have you guys seen Tasmanian devils? I might have seen one at the zoo, but I can't remember what it looks like. Yeah, so they look like little 
I want to say they're cuter balls. R- rats. They're like somewhere between a fur ball and a rat. And they look super cute until they show their teeth. And so so I'm I'm standing over over a little habitat area and one kind of gets in the way of another and and the teeth come out and I mean I almost jump back because it was like, whoa, okay, these things look cute until they take their teeth and the teeth are like you know, like like an inch or two on a really small animal. I mean they look fearsome. I mean, we're not talking about you know Looney Tunes fear you know level, but uh, but but those teeth are, uh, are are pretty substantial. It's the reason why they're called devils, right? Is what you're telling. Exactly. Me. I, I've never seen them spin though. Yeah, that's that's probably a Warner Brothers thing. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, any final thoughts on Sydney? Yeah, we went to Scenic World, which is basically there's a rock formation called the Three Sisters, which is really awesome, and then they built like a a cable car and like other means of transport to get in, different in the blue views mountains, of it. right? The blue in mountains. The blue mountains. Area, right? yep. Yes. And it was really amazing. And like, that was probably that. And just the concept of New Zealand, like, I guess New Zealand, because we were mainly there for the games, it was easier to give up the idea of like going on like big, long, expansive hikes, but really in the blue mountains, like that's where I was like, Oh, I wish these kids were a few years earlier. I'm, excuse me. Well, if they were born a few years earlier, then they would be a few years older. And then we could have gone on some extensive like four or five hour hikes because the Blue Mountains, like the views were just amazing. I mean, we spent the whole day there and yeah, I get that it's very much just capitalizing on the view by building, like, I think it's a cable car. There's a tram and then there's like a very steep, it's not like a roller coaster, but it's like one of those steep trains that like you feel like you're falling. Particular. No, no, no. Oh, yeah. No, no. One of them is that, but then they have this train. It's like a, it's almost feels like a mine car, but you know, it's basically like you're facing straight down. Oh, okay. Intentionally thrilling. Yes. Yes. And so they have like three different forms of transportation to get to different views. Um, but like that is private land, but there are like gates where you can just exit into the public land where, and there's just like, vast and extensive hikes that go to you know there was like a ruined tower that you know it almost looked like it wasn't new zealand but it's like lord of the rings like this is like an old watchtower that was destroyed and like you can like take a four or five hour hike out there so would have really loved to do that didn't get the chance to but you know just have to go back but the blue mountains were really amazing and i have to say that it was winter down there but it was like 60 70 so honestly the weather was like perfect I, I like i like the winter in 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 the southern hemisphere i think people make a big deal out of it but i'm like this is this is fine 60s and 70s i mean i'm not complaining yeah as, as aside from the sun going down at like 6 p.m. like you have less daylight that's the bummer but in terms of like the actual weather like perfect yeah, we. I think we've been down a couple of times for Vivid, which is in uh, in June timeframe, and it's always been very comfortable. Uh, so circling back to to Blue Mountains, is that uh, what an hour hour or two out of the city? Yeah, I think it was an hour and a half drive. Um, Australia is like very big on the speed trap camera, so we basically stayed at the speed limit, and so I think it was about an hour and a half. And yeah, we uh, rented a car again for a day, and you know by then I was used to it, and so that drive was pretty solid and you can actually take public transit there the light rail or not the light rail the like commuter rail i think goes all the way out to the blue mountains that's what i took yes it definitely does it's it's just like you know it's slower though it'll take more than an hour it's better to like be in kind of in control in of your own destiny type of thing especially when you have kids in tow i did not have kids in tow so yes i'm always in favor of control 
but that's just, you know, personal, uh, a personal fallacy. So Joe, after, after all the experience you've had driving in uh, Auckland and, and Sydney, would you do like a longer trip, like drive up the Gold Coast or, 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 or down to Canberra or, or Melbourne? Yeah, for sure. I mean, driving on the other side of the road, like it's really toughest in the cities. And so I think once you get out and you're going like from place to place, you know, I think it would be a lovely thing to do and I would really enjoy it. Like the same way I would enjoy driving across this country. I think it would be amazing to drive up and down the coast in Australia. I did that. It was great because somebody else was driving. <laughs> I'm, sensing, <laughs> I'm sensing a theme here. <laughs> yes. Get, get, get your friends to do the driving. It's all a balance. So, so one of these days when you travel with us to one of the uh, other side roads, I'll be happy to do all the driving since you do so much of it in the U.S. <laughs> so, so I thought, uh, or, or I suppose TK thought, since I think he added this to the to, to the agenda, just a, a little bit of a discussion on booking award travel to Australia. Obviously, you you had leveraged a lot of uh, what Spencer had had shared. But how long were you looking? Were there any particular strategies that you used to, to try to find award space? And how long did you spend looking, I'll say? Uh, obviously, you probably weren't just waiting for Spencer to, to send something. You, you, you probably had this on your, uh, on your radar for quite some time. I mean, I kind of was just waiting for Spencer the whole time. I mean, it was on my radar and I was waiting for Spencer the whole time. So basically, you know, once I had it in my mind that we were thinking of going, at that point, you know, I every time like I would see an award alert or even a price fair alert, basically, you know, I turned all those searches on. And so every time I saw that, I would check to see if it worked for us. Obviously, I didn't want to outlay cash unless I like I wasn't ready to do that until I think we booked finally booked those flights two or three months before the trip. But basically it was about a year before that we thought about going. And then from that point on, you know, I was looking out for um, every time someone said the word Australia or New Zealand to anything, I was always looking for that. And like I typically that's how we book travel. Like either we know where we want to go and then I just keep looking because I feel like at least 50% of the time something shows up. Maybe the something will only cover two or three of us, and then we have to buy the last two on cash. Like I was prepared to do that, right? But, you know, I got the alert that there was all this Qantas award space and that's why there was three J seats. And I actually, actually there were four J seats, but I was like, I'm not sitting by myself. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm pretty sure there was four, or at least, you know, cause like all the award space opened up at the same time and we we're, I was looking at three days, August 9th, 10th or 11th. And at least definitely on two of those days, there was like four J award seats. I don't know about on the 10th of when we actually ended up booking. And so, you know, that's what I was doing the whole time. And then I just kind of, I just build the trip as I go along. Like I said, I had multiple flights booked um, and I only canceled when I needed the points to book a different alternative flight or whatever. That's kind of how it goes. Our next big trip, which we're still not a hundred percent committed to, but like um, over our February break, we hopped on there was this all this Eva Air award space opened up. And so we have like a week long trip to Taiwan potentially planned. And that is like towards the end of the Chinese New Year period as well. So, you know, it would be a good time to be there. It's not, it would be a bad time if it was like Chinese New Year itself. It's just, I don't need that kind of stress right now, but it's like towards the end of the two weeks. And so that we kind of did the opposite. It opened up and I was like, 
all right, this coincides with our break. I'm going to book this and then we'll cancel later um, if we're not going to go. But with this, we knew we were going to go. I knew I was going to pay cash if I had to. And I was just like, just kept, I, I uh, think, kept the hope up. Yeah, I think for Australia and New Zealand, I mean, it's it's about patience and nerves of steel, right? Because almost you will almost never find the exact dates that you want or exactly what you want when you're going to book at any one moment, especially round trip, right? It's It's all about... Book what you can, you know, book first, ask questions later, and then and keep iterating, keep improving. Because, you know, uh, I think one of the previous episodes, Trevor, we talked about my trip that I booked to Australia, right? And how I was really happy I did a creative rerouting and everything. By the way, I've kept none of those flights. They're all gone. <laughs> Even though I was really excited about it. I was excited to be going through Vietnam and flying all these Vietnam Vietnamese carriers and everything. I completely changed everything. And, and Trevor was even there when I was booking it because it's funny. I was like, hmm, is this, is this any good? And, and, and I was like bouncing it off Trevor. And then suddenly I, I tried to book it and it gave me an error. And I was like, oh, I was dejected. Cause you know, like I said, I think I said pre- previously, nothing is worse than finding a word space. And you're, you're never really that excited about it until it's gone. And then you're like, oh, that was the best thing ever. It turned out I, I it actually was still there. I, I ended up booking it and uh, it's great. It, 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 timing works perfect for the cruise that I'm taking. I basically booked this cruise from Australia I originally wasn't committing to going to this thing because my friends are, were committed and they went, but because I didn't have airfare, right? I couldn't find any airfare. I was like, there's nothing here. There's nothing here. There's nothing here. But, you know, uh, again, you just got to be patient, have nerves of steel. Something will probably come up, you know, sometimes exactly what you want. And that's exactly what I ended up doing. I ended up within a day before and a day after that cruise, I got premium class from Australia and to Australia uh, on one world carriers. I just had to wait. I just had to wait for that availability to show up. And you booked that about a month in, right? Or a month out. Yeah. Yeah. It ended up being just about a month out. Uh, and it's funny. It's like the, the flight uh, back to the US. And again, what, what I would also recommend, obviously, is, is, is focus on things like LA and San Francisco, because you know just trying to search from the East Coast is, is completely pointless at this point. Well, it's always, it's always get the overwater segment and then filter in everything else. But the only other thing I'd offer, uh, in addition to what you've said, is, is high balances do help, right? It's just like what what Joe was mentioning. He had probably like three or four different bookings and just canceled as he needed to open up more more miles and points. And that's the experience I've been having myself. I've got I've got a 19 day trip now, and I'm still looking to tweak to to get to something more reasonable. But I've got like two ways to Australia. I've got one way home. I think one of those is all the way from the East Coast. Most of them are from LA and stuff, but the, the reality is, is that they're adding more and more space and more and more flights to Australia and New Zealand. I mean, I don't know, I don't know how long that, that uh, Air New Zealand flight that you took, Joe, uh, has been around. I know it, it existed temporarily before the pandemic, then went away for quite some time. And then now you've got a handful of other like Americans flying to New Zealand from, I don't know if they're flying from DFW and then Australia is trying to, or not Australia, Qantas is trying to to do some sunrise flights. I think they're trying to do, is it Auckland to New York and then eventually Sydney to New York? There's there's a lot of capacity that that's probably coming on in the next year or two or three. Yeah, I think Air New Zealand, I, I don't know if it was like totally new, but there was a Houston to, oh, wait, no, I took the Houston. Oh, yeah. So, so I took the Houston and it was like new. I think they have a JFK to Auckland now, which I couldn't find an award space on. That would have been ideal. But yeah, I, I think you're totally right, TK. You just kind of have to have nerves of steel, be ready to jump. 
Um, especially when like, there's no, you know, I think the trickiest thing was I had booked something with Cathay Asia miles, and this was pre devaluation that I ended up having to like cancel. And so I did have to pay a cancellation fee on that, but everything else that I booked with AA miles with United miles. And in my experience, I've actually booked one of our, uh, one of our, I guess, ways is booked with Air Canada and we paid 85K versus I think 70K. So we could cancel because we just weren't sure whether we were going to take it. And and there used to be talk of a trick to be able to get the saver if it was still available. I haven't tried that. I, I mean, candidly, the uh, the cancellation fees on Air Canada make it more attractive to to just pay the 85K or, or whatever the cancelable fare is versus uh you know paying a whole whole lot of cash out of pocket. I just had to pay that, but it's it's 150 Canadian. So it's like what, like $109 or something like that? Yeah, but it it adds up when you're talking about four seats. Yeah. No, no, and, no. And and, and, and maybe yeah. maybe sixty thousand sounds sounds like a lot as well. I guess it's I guess it comes down to what you have more of it at, at any given time. Well I think what you're 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 reacting to this fact that you're much more likely that you, the one year, the flight that you booked is probably not the one you're keeping. I think that's probably what a, what that is a, a function of, right? More so than the money. Yeah, I mean, if it was the if it was the closing, you know, the closing flight, right? This was, hey, I found a way home on end of January, and I had no idea how I was going to get there. I just knew that you know MLK holiday is you know within two weeks of that, so I could leverage at least one federal holiday. Let me just get this just in case, you know, if I was trying to close, close it where I had like, you know, the way home or the way there and I was just getting the way home, I'd, I'd just do the saver because then, then the trip would be, you know, booked effectively. Okay. Joe, any, any final thoughts on the, on the trip in general? Just one last thing. I was looking at the notes and I realized what you were asking TK about the window seats for the A380. It was, uh, I did not realize that this was the indicator, but yes, premium economy window seat by our window seat there was a large you would imagine seeing it in business class compartment where we could put stuff in and so yeah that was actually pretty convenient i didn't realize that was like a part of the new product so yeah i did really enjoy that and put a bunch of stuff in there and it was really nice to have that extra storage space it's not you know it's it's like i could fit my laptop in there you know it's pretty big you could fit a backpack in there you could fit you could fit a thinner backpack in there definitely Mm -hmm. oh yeah so like all our blank all our blankets and stuff um, went in there. I, my son was sitting by the window, so I didn't utilize it as much as I would. Um, you know, it was like kind of a dump everything in there um, and then just get get in there once or twice type thing. But yeah, that did that, that did work really well. Yeah, those are those are really cool. And you know, the interesting thing is, I think the people in the very back of the A380 because of the curvature of the plane, they don't get them. So if you're in the last few rows of premium economy, you're you're kind of SOL. Haha, <laughs> suckers. Yeah, I'm just amazed by the, you know, I think I flew my first 737 Max. Um, I'm just like, they have like gigantic overhead bins. I'm just amazed by like what they're able to do with space these days. It is interesting how engineers have, have figured this, this have, they have solved the problem really. You know, because I think on those Maxes, like they don't even have to worry about, most of the time you don't have to worry about having them check bags, right? Because um, there's enough overhead space just because of the way they've engineered the bins. Give those yeah, engineers a problem like and, and they'll fix it. Yeah. Yeah, speaking as an engineer myself, uh, yeah, we, 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 uh, we, we get things done. 
So Joe, it's just been awesome to have you on here. You know, obviously going going after talking with you for however many hundreds of hours, I think, uh, on the Saverosity podcast. Before we close it out, I just have to ask, can we get you back on for Festivus at the end of the year? Why you put me under pressure? I'll say, put him on right on the spot there, huh? Would it be yeah, an episode just a little bit? Then, huh? I, I thought we were talking about this. We were talking about this personally offline by a text. I will tell you, Trevor. I will tell the people what I told you, Trevor. I'm just, I'm just not as hip to the game as I used to be. I do not know if I would be as interesting as I once was. I, I just, I'm not like, like for example, like what's what's my deal of the year? Like I don't know, man. I, I, I I'm just, I'm just trying to survive here with uh all the kids and all their activities i'm just you know my deal of the year is air couch not having to <laughs> fill up my tank with Dry gas couch. more than twice a week yeah that's my deal of the year no that was not a deal for for sure sky couch was not a deal i mean it, it got it got the job done and i'm glad we did it and i don't mind Joe, I, didn't I think mind you're getting money, i think you're getting us confused with another deal. podcast you know this is not this is not this is not that kind of podcast <laughs> yeah i guess well i mean i pay for cash for most things now so you know um at least in the spirit of our previous festivuses, Trevor, I, I I don't know how I could do it, but you know we'll see if I can fit it in. I'm telling you, I'm I'm really busy. I'm glad we got the chance to talk, but it, it know, only I took us a thank, month and a half. Or no, yes, no, I, the, I gotta thank you guys for being patient with me because it was like so hard to like find a time to record. Well, so I appreciate it. It was worth patience. it. I mean, I, I feel like I've heard hundreds of hours of, of Joe talking, and this is my first time actually having a conversation with him. So it was a, it was a highlight for me. And it's oh, just as time. great as always. Oh, and you know, it's funny. Thank you. That's very kind of you. It's great to talk to you guys as well. But I just realized, yeah, because when you were on our podcast, TK, I wasn't on that episode. So I heard you because I edited it. But ah. uh, yeah, we weren't, we weren't chatting. <laughs> that's a good point. When you first said that, when you first said that, I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, what are you talking about? Like you were on our podcast, but then I realized it was just me hearing you. Like, it's like, I, I feel like I episode. know Joe at this point, but I've, I've never met him. And we, this is the first time we've actually had a synchronous conversation. Well, you know, same, same, you know, the funny story, uh, the, the funny part, I think we did the, the podcast for what, two, two years before we finally met in person. Oh, me and you. Yeah. And we only met for like 30 seconds. It was like, I don't know, like two minutes. Yeah. It was, it was, it was uh, very short. It was very short at the top of the escalator, but in the Polynesian, I know, I remember exactly where it was. Well, yeah, I, exactly. I, look for my, I look forward to my 15 seconds in 2027. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> put it in the calendar. Yeah. Put it in the calendar, TK. Yep, I'll see you yep. there. All right. Awesome. There we go. Okay, Joe. So, so tell us how, how folks can find you. You can find me at as a Joe flies on social media, as long as that still exists. And if you are looking to book a Disney trip or a cruise with cash, you can uh, email me, Joseph Chung at Travelmation uh, with an M as in Mary.net. And you are an award-winning Travelmation travel agent, aren't you? I am. They just announced the nominees for the Agent of the Year Award for 2023 and announced that I was going to be presenting it, even though uh, no one asked me if I was going to present it. But I guess I am now. So, so I kind of knew, knew I was going to have to present it. Not only are you award winning, but now you are the MC or at least a presenter of, of, of new awards. I just opened the card and I read the name. So I feel so know, honored. I got to, I got to get ready. I got to get ready to make sure I know how to pronounce everyone's name. And and you got to break out the tuxedo or whatever, whatever folks wear for such things. Okay. That's, this is my suit for the next 10 years. My wife says I better fit into it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's the show. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed listening. 
If you've enjoyed this episode, consider becoming a Milonomics Patreon member and get access to even more in-depth miles, points, and travel content. Until then, we hope your next story is a travel story. Thank you.